This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey friends, I hope that everybody's doing well here today. Um, If you've never had the chance to meet my dad, um, I personally believe that uh, you're missing out. Uh, he is, he's my hero. He's, he's who I want to be when I grow up. Um, he's, he's selfless and sacrificial. He never complains. Uh, he, he will bend over backwards to, to do whatever he can do for his family and, and for anyone, really. He's just, he's just a great guy. He's a good dad. Um, I don't know what your experience is with your dad. I, I know some of you have, have good dads that, uh, man, they, they, you've got great memories and, and you love your dad dearly. And then I know others don't have good dads. Um, the, the story you have with your dad is not one that you want to repeat or not one that you want to be as you grow up or someone you know, that you want to marry in the future, right? So I, I know that everybody's coming to this conversation some with good dads some with with not so good dads but but no matter what uh, your history is and what your personal story is uh, I, I know that we all know roughly what a good dad is like like what what would be in a good father right a, a good dad is someone who protects and cares and is selfless right a good dad will will move heaven and earth to protect and care for his children right like that's what a good dad's not perfect, um, but a good dad is willing to admit that and, and make changes, right? So whether you have a good dad or not, we all know what a good dad is like. And so as I read these next verses, I want you to have that picture of, of a good dad, whether it's your dad or the dad you want to be or someone that you know, right? Like have that mental picture of, of a good father, right? Jesus says in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Right? It's a silly question. What kind of of father is going to give his son a stone when he asks for bread? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, this is, this is, this is, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? And Jesus is, he's not trying to put down dads. He's not trying to take a good father and be like, you're a terrible father. He's simply trying to highlight how good our heavenly Father is. And so Jesus lifts up an earthly father, a good father. And he, he points to this good dad and he says, if your good dad, who's actually evil when compared to our good heavenly father, knows how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? So Jesus's point here, and he's talking about prayer and giving us the freedom, the boldness to ask God, but but he's comparing how good our heavenly father is by pinning him against a good earthly father. So imagine that good father, that good dad that you had in your mind. How I mean, just imagine that he's the perfect father. And Jesus says that good earthly father, when compared to our heavenly father and his goodness, 
is evil in comparison to how good, how generous our Heavenly Father is. Listen, the Bible says that God is good. This is, this is critical for us because if we don't believe that God is good, then it will be really easy and the day will come when, when life will be hard and, and we'll find ourselves bitter towards God because we don't believe he's good. We don't believe that he's doing what's best for us. We will be prone to sin and to go chase what will satisfy us if we don't trust and believe that, that really God is good. No matter what's happening, God is a, a good father. And so it, it's imperative to know that, that God is good that he's a good father. So what makes him what makes him good? How do we know that we can describe him as as a good God, a good father? So back in Exodus, where we've been, where we'll be for a few weeks, in Exodus 33, Moses is on the mountain. Well, he's not on the mountain anymore. He's Moses is having a conversation with God. And and Moses says in verse 18, "Please show me your glory." Moses asks God, this good God, show me your glory. And God responds in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you. God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So when God, which we're about to read in verse 34, reveals himself to Moses and causes his glory to pass and says, this is who I am. This is my name. This is my characteristics. It's a summary of his goodness. He's going to make all of his goodness pass before Moses. And then this is how he describes his goodness, how he is good. Exodus 34 verse Six, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. You see how it's following from 33, 19, where he says, I will pass before you and make all my goodness pass before you. Exodus 34, six, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, the triune God, father, son, spirit, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God, when he passes by and shows Moses, and, and now as, as readers of this, he shows us his glory, us his character, his goodness. He says, this good God is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God reveals himself and what makes him good as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now you may remember I, I've said that these verses are the most quoted verses in other parts of the Bible. Other writers of the Bible go back to these verses and requote them in their own writings more often than any other verses in the entire Bible. One area that we see this is uh, Psalm 145. David is writing and, and he quotes part of, of Exodus 34. He says in Psalm 145 verse 8, The Lord is gracious and merciful 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Direct quote, right? The next words, the Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. You see, God is a good father. We've got to know that and trust that. That is what will bring peace and rest in our souls. That is what will tell us that everything is okay. God is a good father. And we see that he is good to all because he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So what all does that mean? What did that mean to Moses as he hears this? What does that mean to, to you and to me? What, okay, this is who God is. This is what makes God good. What does it mean now? I think a lot of times we, we take the words mercy and grace, merciful and gracious, and we, we feel like maybe they're the same thing. Um, and, and there's a tight connection, but they're, they're different. It's like two sides of the same coin. You have one quarter, but one side's heads and one side's tails, right? But it's, it's one quarter. And so this one good God, merciful and gracious, are like two sides of the one coin. Mercy is the feeling of compassion. Mercy is what is provoked inside of somebody that feels empathy and pity towards them. When they see someone who's hurt or broken or distressed, even if it's their own doing, even if they made the mistake, mercy is what moves in compassion towards that person. It, it, God is merciful. He feels compassionate towards us. He feels empathy towards us. He hurts with us. He feels the distress that we have. Mercy sees someone hurting and is broken and empathizes for them. Grace is then the active movement of kindness toward that person. Mercy causes compassion inside and then grace moves in action toward that person in kindness and in love. Right? So, so mercy feels the compassion, then grace does something about it. Mercy hurts for the broken, and then grace steps in to actively fix the brokenness. So, so now how does this manifest itself toward us, right? If, if God is merciful, he's compassionate towards us. He's gracious. He actively moves in goodness and kindness. So what? Why does that matter? What's the importance of this? Mercy moves God to not respond with anger. Mercy in his compassion, it moves God to not give us what we deserve, which is his anger and his grace moves us to moves him to give what we don't deserve which is his love L let me let me say it again because i kind of butchered it a little bit mercy moves god to not respond with what we deserve which is anger the compassion inside of him the empathy it moves god to restrain his anger which is what we deserve and grace moves god to generously give what is undeserved, which is his love. Mercy restrains what we deserve, his anger. Grace gives what we don't deserve, his love. Think about it, uh, th think about it like this. 
So our son Miles is five and some months. I don't know. He'll be six in September, something like that, roundabout. Um, there's too many kids. I get. I can't remember. Um, so he'll be he'll be six soon. But he still routinely comes in our bedroom at night. So he'll he'll go to bed, but then he'll wake up at some point and is genuinely afraid. And and so he'll come downstairs and he'll he'll wake us up and he'll get in bed with us. Um, more often than not, I get frustrated, right? I, I, get, I get frustrated and I get at times a little bit angry. I've, I've, I've lost my cool at times. I've, I've found myself thinking, Corey, you are an animal, right? Because sleep deprivation is a real thing. And so, you know, and, and in one side of it, it's a justified anger. We have told him, stay in your bed. Right, so his parents have told him, stay in your bed, and, and as, as our son, he, he should obey what we tell him to do. Not only that, it's, it's what's best, right? So him learning to sleep through the night and stay in his room is best for him. Him not waking up mom and dad is best for us. Mom and dad getting good sleep is best for the entire world, right? And so it, him obeying us and doing what we ask is not just us wanting to be cruel or mean, it's what's best right? It's, as he grows up, he doesn't want to be afraid of the dark, right? So it's, it's ultimately what's best. So there's a, there's a part of my anger and frustration that's, that's justified. He's repeatedly disobeying us and doing what is not best for him and for us and for his siblings. And, and so here, mercy, when Miles comes in and wakes us up at 2.30 a.m., right in that sweet spot, right? Mercy restrains the anger that wants to boil out of me and instead sees my son who is scared, has compassion and empathy. Mercy leads with empathy. It doesn't discount that he's disobeying, but it leads with empathy. It feels with him that he's genuinely afraid. And so mercy feels compassion and empathy, and it restrains the anger and frustration that wants to to come out against him. Grace then actively gets out of bed and hugs him and walks with him upstairs and tucks him back into bed so that he feels safe and comforted. Right? So mercy restrains the anger so that I don't just blow up and instead causes me to have compassion and empathy for my hurting son who is actively disobeying and grace actively moves towards him in kindness and love and wraps him up and gives him what he doesn't deserve, which is kindness and love and care. God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now you may ask, why the heck is God angry? Right? Like, isn't, isn't God love? Shouldn't like, God and anger, that doesn't seem to mix. And here's the deal. We will always misunderstand God if we do not think that God is angry. If we think that God does not have wrath. Listen, let me break this down. The opposite of anger is not love. So it's not that, oh, if God is love, he can't be angry. The opposite of anger is not love. The opposite of anger is apathy. The the opposite of of anger, I'm sorry, 
if we could just undo this and start over, I would, um, we would just erase that. So Mike, cut, rewind, take 47. Okay, the opposite of love is not anger. Okay, so the, it, it, the, I think sometimes we think like, how can God be angry? God is love, right? Like, and we have this misperception of God and we just kind of think him of this like celestial Santa Claus, right? This jolly old man who just wants to give out good gifts to everybody no matter what. Like, oh yeah, you're naughty, but here's your good gifts, right? Like, so we have this poor perception of who God is. And so we're like, oh, God is love. Therefore, he can't be angry. But the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love, the antithesis to love is apathy. It is a selfishness that doesn't care to interject with what is best. It's, it's a selfishness that cares so little that they don't even get angry towards something that is harming and hurting another. Anger can actually be incredibly loving. Don't get me wrong now, anger can be sin, it can be wrong, but anger can be incredibly loving. Look, if someone is hurting my family, like, it would be unloving for me to be apathetic. Ah, you know, whatever. If someone is hurting my family, I sure as heck better be angry about that and willing to step in and protect and fight for my family. If my family is doing something that is hurting themselves or is hurting me or is hurting others, I better be loving enough to be angry about the wrong that is being done within them towards others. Anger is the loving when it is fighting for what is right and what is best and what is good. And so the opposite of love is not anger. So we can't look at God and be like, why, why would he be angry, right? Because, because he's loving and because God is angry towards sin. Sin is the poison of hell that has crept up from the depths of the pit of hell. And Satan has whispered into our hearts and our minds. And sin is what separates us from God and insults God and destroys us and the world around us. John 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes to breathe the poison of sin, of disobedience to God into our lives. And we're deceived and fooled enough to think that this sin is what will give us life when actually it is bringing death. And God is angry at the sin that brings death. God hates the sin that brings death. And when we receive sin, when we willingly walk in that sin, we are rebelling against God. We, we, we are rebelling against the Holy Good Father when we choose to sin against Him. And God is angry towards that sin. It deserves punishment and wrath. His righteous anger cannot tolerate sin, but His mercy restrains that sin. His compassion and empathy for us, for us sees us broken and confused and deceived and distraught. And he's, He empathizes for us. And His mercy, it restrains His anger. That is rightfully so. He's, he's justified in His anger and the mercy of God restrains it. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
God is merciful and that causes him to be compassionate and to empathize with us and to restrain his anger. And this is good news because you and I deserve his anger because you and I repeatedly sin against him and deserve his anger, but his mercy restrains it and holds it back. Why? So that we can receive the grace of God and his steadfast love that will save us. See, his mercy restrains the anger, but God is gracious and his grace moves forward in abundant, steadfast love. He actively chooses to move forward in love. He actively chooses to set his mind and his heart on those who have walked away from him. Grace is a free, undeserved gift. It is not earned. It is not paid for. It does not have to be repaid. It is bought and paid for by God. And and God's mercy restrains his anger so that we can receive his grace that gives us an abundant, steadfast love. I love this quote from Bono uh, of U2. He, he said, It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. At the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. As you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. That's between me and God, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep It does not excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Well said, Bono. Karma is I get what I deserve. And if we get what we deserve, it's God's anger. His mercy restrains that anger, and instead we get grace, the undeserved love of God. We're created for a loving relationship with Him. And we've walked away. We've rejected God. And His grace still moves forward in love. That makes God really good. In this context, when God proclaims this, um, Israel had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. God had shown up time and time and time and time again in miraculous ways. They get to the Red Sea, and there's the Red Sea and the Egyptian army behind them, and they're like, oh no, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Now we're going to die out here. And so God's like, hey Moses, put your staff in the Red Sea. Boom. Red Sea splits. They walk across on dry land. The Egyptian army chases. The Red Sea closes in on them. They get out there and they're like, oh my gosh, God's incredible. And then it's like a short time later and they're like, oh my gosh, we need more food. We should have just died in Egypt. At least we'd have food. Right? They're complaining again. And so God's like, here's some manna from heaven. He gives them food from heaven. And then they start complaining about that. And they're like, we're thirsty, right? So God gives them water from a rock and they complain some more. And they're constantly just being like, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have died as slaves, right? It'd be better than this. Like all that God has done for them and they're just a bunch of complaining, whiny babies, right? They, they just, man, 
seems a lot like me sometimes, actually, if I'm being honest. You know, and, and so God is repeatedly, his mercy is restraining, his anger, his grace is moving forward in love. Well, then we get to this, to chapter 32 of Exodus. And Moses is up on the mountain getting the commandments from God. And God's like, Moses, you need to head back down. People have lost it, right? And so he goes down. And what they had done, because Moses was gone too long for their comfort, they're like, hey, idea. Let's take all of our gold jewelry. So take the earrings out, right? They throw it in a pot. They boil it down. Their, their earrings, their necklaces, they boil it down and they shape the gold into a golden calf. And they're like, boom, this is our God. We will worship this golden image as our God, our rescuer. And God's like, the unfaithfulness of this people to love and worship something other than the real thing is undoing me. And Moses is like, God, don't, don't move, don't remove your presence. Don't, don't, don't leave us. And then God says, I'm merciful and I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, we, we have to realize that, that Israel had been unfaithful time and time and time and time again. And yet God restrains his anger and he has compassion for them. And he moves near in love because he's a good father, a good God. We see the same story in Luke chapter 15, where there's a father who has an abundance and, and two sons. And, and the younger son is like, hey, dad, I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. I would rather you die. So can you go ahead and give me my inheritance? And, and I mean, like, that's, that's the type of thing that, man, if, if our kids walk and be like, oh, son, you better back away before I jack you up, right? Like, this is about to get real ugly real quick. And yet the, the father in this story humbles himself and gives his son his inheritance and knowing that in essence it means the younger son is, is out i don't care about you and so the younger son takes the father's stuff and goes and wastes it lavishly chases after every pleasure he thinks he can find and it's going to be fantastic until he realizes nope this didn't last and my life is miserable i'm dumb the older brother Stayed at home doing everything he's supposed to do, following all the rules and, and being the good son, right? Well, well, the younger son hits rock bottom. He's out of everything, and it's, it's at the bottom in the pit in the mud when he looks up and he goes, My father was good to me. What am I doing? I'll return home. And he expects for there to be punishment. He expects for the father to unleash his anger and wrath, and instead... The father mentions nothing of his rebellion, nothing of his sin. He runs and embraces his son in love and then generously lavishes good gifts on him and throws a party and food and gives him the ring of the house and restores the son back to the place where he was. No mention of his sin, no mention of his mistakes, full restoration and forgiveness. His mercy restrains his anger, which would have been justified and rightfully so. And instead, his grace actively moves forward in love and kindness because he's a good father. The older brother, the one who kept following all the rules, then at that moment checks out. He's like, nope, I ain't sticking around for this, God. You're too gracious. You're too kind. He didn't deserve it. Why would you give him this? And what we actually learn is that the older brother and the younger brother were the same. They both just wanted the father's stuff. They didn't care about the father. They were just going at it from different ways. 
But the younger son realized the grace and love of the father and received it. The older son didn't. We see in this that God is a good father, that his mercy restrains his anger and his grace moves forward in love. See, here's the deal for you and me, is that you and I deserve God's anger. We, I, you, have sinned against God. We have taken his blessings and his goodness just like the younger son, and we've taken off and done our own thing. Or maybe we've taken his blessings and his good stuff like the older son, and we've used him in our obedience to get his stuff. But our hearts, nonetheless, are distant and far from him. We're, we're just like Israel. We reject and rebel and reject and rebel and we come back to God and we love him and then we go and chase other things and we come back and we love him and we go and chase other things. We've all sinned and been unfaithful to God and violated him and deserve his anger and wrath. And yet he mercifully restrains his anger and has compassion toward us and empathy and Romans 5, 8 says that he demonstrates his love, his grace. He demonstrates it in that while we were still sinners, while we were actively in opposition to him, while we were actively moving away from him, while we were actively harming and insulting his glory and name, Christ moved near and died for us. God's love is on full display in that on the cross, Christ suffered the wrath of God for our sin. The anger that we deserve, God pointed on Jesus, and Jesus suffered it on the cross in our place so that we don't ever have to receive the anger and wrath of God. Jesus received it for us. And then because He is God, He was raised from the dead. And now God's active love is given toward us in that we can receive the full blessings of Christ, of new and eternal life in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of life as sons and daughters, free from our sins and given a relationship with the good Father because of what Jesus has done for us, because God is merciful and restrains His anger, because He is gracious and pours His abounding, steadfast love on us. This makes God good and trustworthy, and we can rejoice in Him and be at peace and worship Him. I was asking myself, why am I not that impressed all that often with who God is? Why, do I, why am I not all that impressed with how good God is? And just quickly, I think there's two reasons I'd love for you to consider. One, we don't know how sinful and evil we are. We, we think we're pretty good. We, we, we think we're pretty good. We compare ourselves to other people and we're like, I'm, I'm a good person. I do good things. And then we imagine that God is a lot like us, but maybe just a little bit bigger, a little bit better. And we miss the incredible gap of how good God is which makes no matter how good we think we are, evil. It's the gap that makes a good father evil compared to the good God. And we just think that we're, we're good. And we have to realize we're not. 
that's what makes grace so amazing is that God loves us regardless. I think the second thing is we don't understand his grace. We think that we have to earn it. We think that we have to measure up for his love. And we don't realize that he loves us exactly how we are. And that by Jesus, he is pleased in us. And we don't understand the magnitude of grace. Grace is what makes God different than every other religious being. Grace is what sets Christianity apart. You and I don't earn our favor with God. He freely gives it. And even when we mess up again, because of Jesus, that grace remains and it never goes away. God is good because he's merciful and gracious and he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. I pray that we will take the time to sit and reflect and think on this and let the reality of who God is change us from the inside out. So let's pray. God, would you show us how good you are? Would you let each one of us know your mercy and your grace, your mercy that restrains the anger that we deserve and your grace that gives the love that we don't deserve. May we see ourselves before you and receive your mercy and your grace because you're good and you're a good father. Would you take a second and just be still before the Lord? Just sit where you are and wait in him, in his presence, in his voice. Reflect on the words mercy and grace. Mercy that restrains his anger and grace that gives his love. Would you just reflect on that and let God speak to you through his goodness? God, as we listen and reflect, as we sing and as we pray, would you bless us with your presence? In your presence is the fullness of joy. We love you. We're grateful for your kindness, your goodness. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.